Hello and welcome back to the London Tech Insider podcast. This week I speak to Neil Campbell about the growth manager role that's becoming more and more popular in the tech industry. In this position, managers have a deep understanding of both the product and marketing sides of the business, leading to a unique perspective where they understand deeply what brings in customers and how the product can change to achieve this. Neil recently started as Chief Growth Officer at Small, spelled S-M-O-L, a Series B-funded subscription-based eco-cleaning brand. Before this, he worked in a diverse range of roles, including VP of Growth at Moneybox, so he's well qualified to talk about the growth manager role. Many of Neil's previous roles have also been with Series B-funded startups, so for the last part of the episode, we also speak about what makes these sorts of companies an especially interesting place to work. So here is the episode. Please enjoy. So I thought, uh, like you were just saying, it'd be good to just go over your background a little bit and uh, what is the path uh, that took you to like growth manager roles? Um, yeah, so uh, very briefly on my kind of background. So I'm originally from Northern Ireland uh, and I live in, the, just outside London in Maidenhead. Um, I have just finished as the kind of VP of growth at Moneybox, um, which is, you know, the kind of savings investing kind of app, which is doing very well at the minute. Um, and I'm sort of very excited to be moving to kind of the chief growth officer role at Small. That's Small spelt S-M-O-L, who are a sort of subscription service for eco-friendly kind of cleaning products so things like uh, washing capsules dishwasher tabs they even do kind of biodegradable kind of scrubbers and cloths and things like that um but my kind of you know path to you know working in kind of growth roles and working into sort of that sort of series b sort of size of kind of company um we'll kind of probably talk about this later when we talk about kind of what growth means but uh kind of driven a little bit by experimentation um so you know kind of feeling out what were the kind of right roles what kind of made sense so I started you know way back um in the day um god almost 20 years ago I'm sure my age a little bit but um working in consulting so I was a strategy consultant for OCNC uh, and they were great in that it was really kind of intellectually kind of stimulating uh they were very kind of data driven give me lots of kind of good excel skills and things like that um and it was a great place to learn but you know, it was a bit kind of removed from the impact, you know, so you're producing these, um, you know, PowerPoint decks and things like that. And it's lots of good thinking, but you're not really getting involved in, okay, how do we actually kind of make this happen? So then I kind of went away, did an MBA, um, uh, joined Amazon. And then Amazon was absolutely brilliant because it was like fast moving. It was like the sort of leader in e-commerce still is obviously the leader in kind of e-commerce, but they were doing loads of great things. Again, they were kind of very data driven and I kind of, you know, taught myself SQL there so I could answer my own questions. And they were very, had this kind of culture of, you know, continuous kind of improvement and kind of driving forward. Um, so that was really, really great for as well. But then the but this time was, okay, but it's not really creative enough. You know, all this kind of development is happening in the US and it's, um, you know, I kind of feel like, in the UK, I'm kind of making my little category kind of, you know, I used to run mobile phones, kind of um, sat navs and cameras for them. I was making my kind of little bit of the area kind of run really well and kind of spin, but I wasn't really changing, you know, what we were doing. Um, and, you know, you're trying to compete with an international roadmap that has things like Kindle and Amazon Prime and things on it. So if you want to do contracts and mobile phones, it's just not going to kind of happen. Um, so kind of then I was looking for, okay, let's let's go somewhere where I can sort of make changes more. And um, I worked at a, uh, a basically kind of Series A startup called Rangespan, uh, which is set up by, you know, kind of mentor of mine from Amazon, a guy called Matt Henderson. Um, and again, that was great to kind of work in a proper startup, something I'd always wanted to do. Really great team dynamic. Um, you know, it was kind of multifunctional. You get to see everything kind of happening. But at the same time, it was still searching a little bit for kind of product market fit. Uh, and that sort of changes the job you know, quite a lot. Um, so then I kind of, you know, okay, let's you know, kind of work somewhere that's a bit more kind of development, a bit more, you know, further along. I actually worked at Betfair. Um, so, you know, the large kind of gambling kind of platform um, for a while. The problem with Betfair is that I just didn't care enough about the kind of product. Um, and so um, it was, you know, I didn't really kind of feel the ownership there. Um, and also the kind of development was, you know, 
gambling companies are built on a lot of very very robust normally kind of third party technology and that kind of meant that you know the the pace of kind of getting stuff done you know it, it was harder to have an impact that you kind of wanted to have uh and then from Betfair, um i i worked at naked wines and that was the first kind of like opening into a proper kind of growth role so i had all the um you know all the kind of data stuff from you know various roles before and amazon being very data driven and things like that and i kind of think that way uh, i'd also done all the kind of like strategy and commercial operation and sort of PL ownership stuff at amazon as well and, and naked was a real you know it's a subscription business um and as we'll kind of talk about then growth really does it starts with kind of subscription businesses because it's all about you know repeat customer usage and the entire life cycle of the kind of customer and naked was just a company that was thinking in that way rowan who um who set up naked was was thinking in that way um and was actually trying to apply some of that stuff to to majestic wine so the kind of you know, the stores uh the wine shops um at the same time about how can, can you think about that sort of subscription or customer life cycle kind of view in uh um in an offline kind of sort of version as well um and so that was really great and you know kind of got on really well there um and just kind of thought yeah i want to do something that's just a little bit more early stage so naked wines it, it's not a typical kind of venture capital back company because of it, its funding was kind of different but um it was more that sort of series c series d push for profit profitability kind of international kind of level um and I kind of thought, no, I want to do something that's more earlier stage, sort of series B is the kind of sweet spot of has product market fit. It's about kind of scaling. You can have a real impact. Uh, and Moneybox was absolutely in that kind of um, level when I kind of joined. Uh, and then, yeah, Moneybox, again, you know, great. The role was kind of perfect, pure growth role of, you know, kind of covering all the aspects of what I would kind of call growth. Um, and then, um, but then I decided I want to do something a bit more sustainable. So I kind of thought, okay, if I, got to you know, go and do something what's something that sort of really is in line with my kind of values around sustainability and so when small came along it's um uh you know that was that was a great role as well because it's again that pure growth role um but something i can really kind of really get behind the product um you know 100 um so as you can see there all those kind of companies were like oh this was great but and i kind of went looking for something else mm -hmm. and then this is great but i went looking for something else and that's that's kind of the experimentation approach i've, I've kind of worked out then it means I've kind of worked lots of places, but I've had lots of interesting experiences as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the end result of that is, you know, I'm kind of last couple of roles, last couple of years have been really focused in this area of growth, um, which is obviously kind of new and upcoming and, you know, talked about a lot at the minute. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting that that sort of experimentation is part of the growth role, I guess. So it's like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's, there's certainly, uh, you know, there's kind of two ways to kind of you know approach things there's one is i can analyze to death and absolutely kind of work out exactly what's going on and then act accordingly or i can analyze a little bit or well i, I can experiment and just see what works and then do more of the stuff that kind of works and then maybe analyze afterwards and, and think about why it works and and i yeah. think you know good growth basically mixes those two you know it kind of really yeah. It, it, it does experimentation with uh with an eye on but let's work out exactly why it works yeah so sort of making decisions as well before you have uh, all of the information that you would ideally want yeah exactly and that's the you know like data analysis and sort of backing up your kind of you know thinking and your sort of actions with data are very important and kind of in any role really but particularly important growth role but it's really important that you don't end up in that zone of like desperately searching for the perfect answer with 100% certainty. You've got to you've got to balance that with an ability to kind of move relatively quickly. Yeah. So uh, just to also set the scene a little bit for the episode, uh, it'd be good if you could just as simply as possible explain what the growth role is. And a way to do this is sometimes to say, could you explain to a five year old? Uh, that might be a bit difficult, but uh, yeah, uh, I, absolutely. I, I was saying maybe not a five-year-old. I, ha I have a eleven-year-old and a thirteen-year-old daughter, and I'm not quite sure would they uh, know what I do. Um, but you know, for me, um, you know, growth is basically the sort of you know the kind of almost the sort of commercial operation of a kind of product, and that's sort of like talking to customers. So it's sort of saying who are the right customers for my product you know so if it's if it's naked wines who are the right customers who are interested in 
you know, wine that comes direct from sort of artisan producers that, you know, cuts out the middleman. Um, and then it's sort of saying, well, how do I identify those customers and how do I, you know, talk to them? So tell them about Naked Wines. You've never heard about it. How do I make sure that you have heard of Naked Wines in some way? Um, and, and make sure that we're talking to the right customers. So no point in talking to people who are totally uninterested in wine. I've got to find the right ones. No point in talking to people who buy six pound bottles of wine from the supermarket. You know, you're looking at the ones who are at the sort of like 10 pound bottle of wine sort of level. Then it's sort of realizing that it's not just about kind of, you know, getting them to land on the Naked Wines website and saying, oh, my job's done here. It's just saying, okay, there's a there's a huge range of um, outcomes of like how much people will use the service. Will they use Naked Wines once a year for a big Christmas order? Will they use it regularly through the year? Will they discover lots of winemakers? Will they find one favorite, et cetera? And so we're saying, well, there's a lot we can do to kind of, you know, kind of have an impact there. And that's stuff like how do we set the expectation before they onboard? How do we onboard them through the service? How do we you know what are the high impact things that they can do that will you know make them a lot more engaged and and, and mean that you know naked wines is working for them more? So class example there would be, you know, if you make, you know, if you sort of make a a rating on a wine and a rating is literally I like it or I don't like it. You know, if you've done that on about four or five wines, then Naked Wines suddenly have enough to give you a decent recommendation about what wines you should try. So, you know, that's got to be a goal of the service early on is saying, give us this feedback on the wines and then the service will be better for you. And in a lot of cases, that is a lot more powerful than saying, you know, um, just buy more wine, you know, come and get another order, come and get another order. So saying, no, actually, if you do it this way, then you would get a much better result than what are the best ways to do that? And, you know, the ways to do that are, you know, I can send you emails or notifications or text messages, or I can make it very obvious in the product that, you know, that's what you're meant to do next. Or, you know, I can let you see that the functionality that you're not seeing because you haven't done this step first and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's that sort of, how do I, you know, both get customers in the door, but then also kind of manage those customers through their kind of relationship with the onboarding and then the retention of them, the upsell to kind of different levels. Um, you know, do we want to get them on the premium wine at Naked Wines, for example? Um, or, you know, do we want to, um, you know, when they decide to churn, you know, can that be saved or can we learn from them? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's, a, for me, growth is that entire life cycle. And, underpinning it all is a sort of is a is a data-led approach to it um yeah. so it's sort of saying okay are we really kind of tracking what people are doing and understanding that and building the service and actually are we passing some of that back to the marketing side of things so you know if we understand these are valuable customers then let's go and get the marketing to go and find valuable customers as opposed to because in a lot of cases your your valuable customers they're kind of found not made you know so there, there's a real balance and growth between you know, do i get high quality customers are just coming through the door and then I can't have much impact or, you know, actually I can't have an impact with all this engagement. And it's, it's probably 50, 50 in both, but you definitely need that kind of data flowing back to the marketing side of the business to say, right, let's go and get these good quality people. And so it's uh, just like another question to uh, really nail down what this role is. I was wondering, like, what do you think of the name um, growth? Like, do you think it's a good, way of describing what this job is or and sort of like why why is why is it called growth in the first place yeah so it's an interesting one because you could definitely argue like isn't every person in the company's job growth you know isn't everyone's role to go and just make us kind of grow faster be it better products or you know better kind of financial management or you know better customer service so there's definitely that sort of argument that's like it's a bit you know, vague and a bit wide of a kind of term. But I think, you know, quite like, you know, product management about 10 years ago um, was a kind of term or a kind of role that was very well defined in the um, in the US. You know, Facebook and Google had big sort of graduate kind of product management programs. And, you know, some of that learning was generally kind of spreading out, you know, across other kind of companies. And, and in the UK, we were probably a little bit behind. There's this mixture of like, was product management, uh, you know, 
you know, is it project management? Is it scrum team leadership? Is it, you know, product owners and scrum teams? You know, is it program management? And so I think, you know, and eventually you know, now in the UK, product manager, everyone kind of knows what the role is. It's very, very kind of clear, you know, how it kind of works and, you know, what the different kind of aspects of it are. Um, although still different flavors of it within kind of product management. I kind of think growth is a little bit where product management was kind of 10 years ago. I think it's, you know, it's a term that's used a lot. Sometimes people use it just to mean kind of, it's like a fancy new term for digital marketing. Um, in others, no, it is kind of, you know, encompasses a kind of wider role that brings in those aspects of both CRM and engagement along with the kind of digital marketing side of things. It also has the, you know, the product as a, you know, as a lever that you can pull. So it's, it's not about being a product manager, but actually, you know, actually understanding that if I make the product changes in this way, then I can have a dramatic effect on the, on the usage of the product and that's sort our of underpinning of data. And so I think, you know, I think it's an okay term. I think it can be confusing, but I think it's, it's people's understanding of it will improve as, you know, it just gets a bit more widely used. Yeah. And uh, it was nice uh, sort of in your description, you were giving a few examples with uh, naked wines, but uh, just uh, another, you know, things always get really clear when you give examples. So could you maybe give a couple more examples of uh, sort of actions and insights that uh, and decisions you made uh, that were possible by having this high level view and uh, seeing the bigger picture uh, and uh, rather, you know, that you don't think would have been possible uh, by themselves, you know, if, yeah, if there's yeah. more time. So, yeah, I think there's a couple of ways to go on this. One is I can give you a few examples of like, these are kind of classic growth examples. So when growth first started, you know, there, there was a little bit of a kind of like hack mentality to it. And so there's, you know, there's lots of stories, most of which people have kind of heard of. So things like Airbnb, when they first started, um, they had a thing where, okay, how do I get it? How do I get out there and get an audience for this stuff once I have a kind of property? And so they were doing this kind of twofold. They had Craigslist, which is this massive, you know, online kind of classified site then that was doing a huge amount of these sort of you know vacation rental and sort of short-term short-term rental listings and so they were doing two things they, they you know they had hacks where essentially they firstly contacted everyone who was listing a property on kind of craigslist and sort of said look how do i kind of you know why don't you come to this service where you know it's a bit more bespoke and managed and all the rest and at the same time they they went on to um uh anyone who did list on airbnb they automatically created a listing for that property on kind of craigslist so without you know basically the person just ticked the box and sort of said yep list me on craigslist and so you know in a world in which no one had heard of airbnb and the website wasn't any traction they were kind of out there thinking right how do i tap into other audiences and how do i bring people to the site and just get that whole thing you know running really quickly and how do I kind of profit the fact that Airbnb looks quite good and Craigslist looks pretty terrible? It's mostly kind of text and images kind of, you know, site. Um, so those are like that. That's a kind of like a kind of hack. The other kind of classic one is um, Dropbox, you know, so Dropbox grew very, very quickly uh, in its early days by basically saying, if you invite more people to to use Dropbox, we will increase your storage. So, you know, it was a sort of, free you know you get a certain amount of free storage and then you had to pay for everything above but if you're a kind of power user who you know is probably well connected and probably knows lots of people and wants loads of storage wants to store your entire mp3 collection that people had back in those days before the kind of days of spotify or your entire photo collection there then you know we can make that happen for you because if you invite all your kind of friends then um they obviously um uh you know it spreads the word, you get more storage, you're happy, you know, and actually, you know, the whole point of Dropbox is that I can share files with other people. And actually for Dropbox, that was a perfect one because it actually doesn't cost them um, a huge amount. Um, because if you think about it, a lot of these people who are being invited are sharing the same files as the person's already uploaded. And so they're not actually taking up any more storage space. They're just changing kind of user access permissions. So those are the kind of like, you know, almost the kind of hacky, you know, and, and those are the ones you hear about success stories and you got to remember that Dropbox probably tried hundreds of things. And that was, you know, that was one of the ones that did really well kind of out of it. Um, and then, you know, 
what's kind of coming since then is a slightly more kind of structured kind of approach to that and sort of saying, you know, well, how do we kind of approach these things? And so, um, for, for example, at Moneybox, um, so Moneybox started off doing kind of ICEs and, you know, lots of kind of little savings tools around, you know, uh, do your kind of roundups or put in weekly amounts or put in monthly amounts and, you know, build up a kind of balance over time. The, the annual allowance on an ISA is £20,000 a year. You can put £20,000 in the year into it before, you know, well, before you can't, and then you have to put it into other kind of trading accounts and pay tax on it and things like that. Um, but £20,000 for the vast, vast majority of Moneybox customers is just insane amount of money. No one's ever going to hit that limit. It's not something you need to care, care about. And so Moneybox then launched Lifetime ICEs, which are this kind of great product for uh, buying a house. You know, So you can put into up to £4,000 a year uh, this time, and you know, the government then sort of tops that up. And so the £4,000 a year limit is a lot more achievable. But when we kind of started off doing it, we just sort of set it up the same way as ICEs, the same way that we kind of knew what we were doing. Um, the money was kind of coming in, um, uh, you know, just kind of as you expect. But we kind of noticed by looking at the data, it's like, hang on, not all these customers are are acting the same. And, th and this is one kind of key thing in growth is about how do I segment customers and how do I understand what groups of different customers are doing? And is there something in what this kind of group are doing? And we just kind of noticed that there was a, a group of customers who were, you know, we call maxing out their, their lifetime ISA, i.e. putting in the maximum sort of £4,000 a year. I'm going, hang on, that's, that's a sizable group and that's a big chunk of money to kind of put in now. Lots of good reasons for that. You know, firstly, you're putting money in their lifetime. I said, not for general savings and to just generally, you know, feel like you've got money kind of squirreled away. You're doing it to buy a house. So it's a very kind of definite goal. It's also, you know, you might have money kind of saved elsewhere before you kind of had your lifetime. I said, and you've moved it in. Um, also, the kind of because of the the bonus on top of it, the sort of twenty five percent bonus that the government adds on. Um, you know, it's a it's really good reason to kind of max out the money. So the dynamic is different. But what we kind of notice is that, okay, yeah, some of these customers are just using it like like the ISA one where drips and drabs and the kind of balance is building slowly, but some of them are super motivated. And when you kind of look into that, you kind of go, well, okay, well, how are they doing that? So, you know, some are doing it as soon as they open the kind of ISA, some are doing it just before the end of the kind of tax year, some are doing it right at the start of the new tax year. So get the money in straight away, you know, and then don't touch it for the next you know, year until you have to do it again. And kind of looking at that and sort of seeing the dynamic of, when that money is kind of going in is um you know means you can sort of design the product around it you know so it means you can go i'm going to prompt customers when they sign up to kind of you know like, for example but when you open a money box account you get various different sort of amounts of money that you can add in you know on the isa i can't remember the numbers but it was like you know 100 250 1000 pounds which were you know reasonable numbers for an isa for the the cash lisa you know, just suggesting four thousand pounds, the number of people who took up the four thousand pounds was was brilliant. And so, you know, suddenly you've changed that dynamic because you're, uh, you know, the, the stat you're looking at is your you know, what's my first deposit, and the first deposits just because the amounts I'm suggesting are different has jumped, you know, by five hundred pounds on average or something because of that sort of dynamic. Uh, and then you can also look at well, when are they, you know, putting the money in? Okay, so how do I prompt them within the product? So you know, do I have kind of countdowns and kind of totalizers and let them know how much government money there is still left for them to claim if they can max out their kind of ISA? Do we, you know, for the ones who are a bit slower, do we sort of set them up on a payment plan which is okay? Let's help you hit it by the end of the year. So we, you know, take the rest of the year and divide it by, you know, there's 40 weeks left. Let's let's take 4,000 divided by 40. It's 100 pounds a week. Let's go. And so you can sort of design the product and, and the communication strategy in the way to really kind of you know, to hit it in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it's interesting because uh, so, yeah, like you were just saying that at the end, uh, it's what makes it different from like a marketing role is the fact that you're doing so much then to change the product at the end. And it's, yeah, would you say I'm right? And that's a that's a correct summary of. Yeah, it's that sort of understanding of, and, and you know, there's a couple of things going on there. So one is, um, you know, f f firstly, take the money box example. I've got lifetime ISIS now, right? Now I have to go and focus my marketing on finding people who are very motivated and are going to max out their kind of lifetime ISA and where they're found. Are they found on Instagram? Are they found on Facebook? Are they found, you know, in response to 
kind of PR and kind of placement stories? Um, you know, are there people who come in as soon as Martin Lewis and money saving expert kind of gives us a recommendation? There's then sort of saying, okay, you know, in this onboarding and something as simple as what are the three default values that I recommend on the kind of this ad money page, which is like the page you see, you know, five screens in after you've given your kind of email and sort of postcode and things like that, you know, that can have a huge, you know, impact. So we need a big experimentation program around that about what are the kind of right numbers to kind of put in there. Um, and then it's sort of saying, okay, the the engagement bit. So when I talk to customers, um, I can't just do, and, and, and this is where, you know, growth Growth has a big part of engagement and companies already have CRM teams and email marketing teams. But, you know, what, what's the growth version of, of sort of CRM and email marketing kind of look like? It is personalized, tailored, it is timely, it is responsive. And so, you know, in the growth version of that, it's going to people and sort of saying, here's how much you have in your ISA, here's how much more you can claim, have you thought about this? put the prompts in at the right time and you just get a much better response to that. And so, you know, the fact that you can do that and then go to the product guys and sort of say, you know, it, and, and this is kind of a good example of the sort of divide line between product management and sort of some of the product sides of growth. So obviously the product guys have gone and worked like mad to get lifetime ices launched and make sure that the money's flowing to the providers and out of people's bank accounts and all this kind of stuff, you know, working really well. Um, and, and that's a big launch and you know they do an amazing job um and then you know the kind of growth side of product is saying but actually could you give us the ability to change what these kind of default values are and have entire experimentation around then because then we can kick off a whole testing program that will you know get us 20 percent more value out of these kind of new customers yeah. or you know we need something in app which really reminds people that you know how much is left so underneath the balance on their lifetime isa can we have a little progress meter or something like that, or a you know a card that they click through to you know there's one in Moneybox called the Lisa bonus card um, that allows them to kind of do that. And so it's it's those kind of like products like modifications to the product which kind of make it a bit more relevant for what you're trying to do. I get lots of people to kind of deposit more into their lifetime houses. Generally, it also sounds like uh, so it's an I almost the idea that. Uh, the knowledge of marketing has quite a big impact on say the product uh but then does it does the arrow like flow the other way as well like does having more knowledge of the product uh, influence the way that you're doing uh some marketing campaigns or things like that yeah it, it definitely does in in kind of two two ways so so firstly you know some of our best marketing campaigns are just you know customers talking about the product and just sort of saying wow this really helped me in this way and because it's from them and they're kind of successful outcomes you can just sort of play some of that sort of back into the kind of marketing uh, creative um and uh, i guess other ways it kind of frames is that if you go and look at the actual kind of usage of the product then you can get an idea of you know where people are headed at and you know so you know, for us on kind of lifetime ISAs, you know, the fact that we were so, you know, seeing this kind of behavior of people really using the product and sort of getting large amounts of money in there made us kind of think of, okay, like it's really is, this is a focused goal. It's not an aspirational goal. It's like these people are down to buy their next house. It's like not, oh, I'll squirrel away and I'll see, maybe I'll own a house. It's like, let's go. And so, yeah, how, how do you kind of reflect some of that? Um, and then the other way is on the kind of more sort of technical kind of data side is like, well, you know, we're seeing customers fall in these two groups. Some which are kind of slow and steady and kind of build up balance and they kind of have it there for option value. And some are, I'm buying a house, I'm going for this. Uh, you know, how do I identify those customers you know, who, are, who are going for it, who are the much more valuable and really work out which marketing is attracting them and where they're kind of coming from and, you know, what kind of creative creates them rather than just saying, you know, marketing create customers and we consider all customers kind of equal because um, they're not. And just another thing I wanted to pick up on as well uh, from what you were saying was uh, how, um, uh, you know, you were drawing the line between the growth role and product um, and there are these sort of quite uh, blurred boundaries. But I was wondering, like, do you think uh, there's value in merging things even more like getting an even higher level 
perspective on things and completely breaking down yeah all these barriers um at, at, at what level do you mean at the at the kind of product side of things or are you thinking yeah al- side of things? almost um like either going into sales or going into uh going into product more or going like uh, is there sort of do you know of in the industry is there are there people trying these sorts of things even yeah, so so it, it really kind of depends. And like one of the great debates that people have in growth is that, you know, should there be a de- dedicated product team for growth initiatives or should, you know, product work in a way, such a way that they're, you know, basically one of the stakeholders of a kind of product roadmap that's sort of saying, you know, as well as doing all this great big kind of product launches and infrastructure and stuff like that, can we fit in the, you know, the, the more kind of operational and sort of slightly shorter term stuff? Um, so that's one that, you know, and it's mostly a kind of scale thing and a mostly a sort of setup thing. And, you know, it really depends on what the kind of setup and the natural kind of divisions of the, of the product are. Um, uh, you, you kind of mentioned something like, like sales there. So, you know, I think that's a good example. So in a lot of, you know, um, software as a service, you know, kind of web services stuff, there are sales teams there, you know, of kind of, you know, you can even talk about some of the data tools or, you know, marketing tech tools like, you know, braze or um you know segment these guys have sales teams which are out there trying to sell and you sort of well what's the role of kind of growth in that kind of context and and to me i think you know you'd never have a growth kind of person lead a sales team because leading sales teams is all about kind of motivation and sales management and you know kind of um, you know, getting people through and understanding kind of customers is a real kind of, you know, lots of one-to-one kind of conversations, but you can definitely kind of build growth around that. So you can sort of say, okay, how do I design landing screens to be, you know, produce the maximum amount of qualified leads for a sales team to kind of work through. So, you know, what works best? Does it kind of end your email address and we'll get back to you straight away? Is it, watch this kind of video, download this white paper, you have to give us your email address to download the white paper. You know, what actually kind of works the best and can engage people at that level. Um, you know, and once you kind of do that, you know, which ones are providing leads, which actually kind of convert into kind of paying customers as opposed to, oh, we had lots of conversations and then they kind of never went anywhere. Um, it's that kind of stuff that you could definitely do. And then you sort of say, okay, you know, understand for a salesperson here are the touch points that really convert someone into a kind of paying customer so it is they've downloaded this or they've watched this video and they've had an introductory sales call you know if you hit those three things then they're 50 percent likely if you haven't then they're 25 percent likely to kind of get to that point okay you know let's go and design around that so i think you know i'd, I'd never sort of say oh yeah you know growth is everything because i say it could be you could argue that everyone's role in the company is to make it grow and it absolutely yeah. is but i never think that like growth should never be right let's run sales as well because it's a very different skills skill set and a very different kind of side and and you know one of the other natural barriers you kind of get is you know what's growth's relationship to kind of brand marketing you know to the you know more sort of less numbers focused more like here's the tone we want to set here's the message we want to get out there we just want to kind of build awareness and I would sort of say, yeah, like growth can help on that because they're the sort of the, the analyst people and they can sort of help analyze kind of TV campaigns and work out kind of quality of kind of TV customers and things like that. But you could never say, um, right, <laughs> growth, let's go and design brand campaigns because it's just a very different skill set. You know, it's kind of um... not overlapping. Yeah. Um, and sort of... Uh... Something else that was uh, slightly related, I was just kind of thinking about, and that again, what you were saying earlier about uh, the fact that in the UK, growth is sort of still finding its feet a little bit and we're kind of working out uh, what it is here still. Um, Are there sort of people making mistakes out there or there sort of risks, do you think, to uh, having this role and working in this way? Um, I don't think so. I think I think there's a, a few which are, I think that the big one is people just confusing it with strict digital marketing. It's just a new word for digital marketing. Um, so I think that there's the kind of the risk there is 
they call it something and then they're you know they're not really kind of getting the benefits of sort of thinking of the entire kind of customer lifecycle stuff and things like that um or of really kind of bringing a kind of data-centric approach to it or kind of adding in sort of product changes as well um but i don't i don't think it's a risk i think it's just a case of oh you've kind of slightly got the wrong end of the stick here you know you're kind of operating not pretty much similar to how, how you were before um and therefore you're not really getting the benefits but i don't think it's it's dangerous in any way um yeah. in, in that sense hmm. um and then like to finish the questions on uh what exactly the growth role is and what it's about it'd be nice to uh hear your take on what makes a good growth manager and uh you know is it uh people coming from particular backgrounds that is important uh and or is it innate qualities and yeah i i think um it, it's a bit of both there I think, I think you're right there's two ways to kind of cut that so one is what background do they come from you know and is it you know you know, do they come from digital marketing? Do they come from data analysis? Do they come from CRM and kind of engagement stuff? Do they come from a product side of things? You know, maybe product that I want to be a bit more short term, a bit more kind of operational on the kind of product. And and I think you can come from all four of those kind of backgrounds and, and probably one or two others that I haven't thought of um, and, and be an effective kind of growth person. Uh, but what you're kind of looking for is you know, a couple of kind of key traits. So I think one is, you know, just curiosity. I think you've got to be interested in how and why do things kind of work the way they do? You know, why are people depositing money in their lifetime ice at this time? Why are people rating or not rating wines, um, you know, on their second visit, that sort of thing. Um, I also think you need to be kind of, you need to have a data centric bent, um, you know, so you need to be able to kind of think and sort of prove and, it's good to have intuition, but you need to be able to kind of back up and build that intuition, um, uh, you know, using kind of data. Now, I think the other thing you need is kind of, you know, is hustle and sort of ability to get things done and sort of realizing that you're never going to have, you know, 100% of the data, as we kind of talked about before. So I think in some data analysts, there's a danger that you're like, no, oh, no, I absolutely want to be pure and I want to make beautiful systems that, you know, give kind of right answers all the time. And you then you're sort of going, well, that's you're probably a bit more on the data scientist side and sort of building kind of interesting data systems instead of the kind of growth side, which is like, okay, how, how does this data serve me? And I kind of move on. Hmm. Um, I think you also need to have a bunch of ownership. So you need to be really focused on outcomes and, you know, how do I you know, make this company more valuable by getting, you know, more people to use it and the right kind of customers to kind of use it. Um, and then I think there's a kind of creativity sort of angle to it as well, because in a world in which you have kind of experimentation, you kind of need to think about what you're going to experiment on, you know, so you need to be able to kind of go, okay, here's, here's 10 ideas, you know, stack ranked, and we're going to try the top three of them and just see what happens. Um, uh, and, and be able to kind of think of those things to do, um, mm. which a lot of it comes from the ownership and the hustle and the, the advantage. But if you're, if you're sitting there thinking, I have just no idea what we could possibly do, then you're going to struggle in a kind of growth um, context. Um, so yeah, so I think there's bits bits off that um, uh, and bits of all the kind of different roles. But I think all, all those kind of roles we mentioned at the start from digital marketing engagement, data analysis, product stuff could all go in a kind of growth way. And then, so I think uh, this is probably a good point to transition to the next topic uh, that probably uh, will be a slightly smaller topic, but uh, which is the Series B startup so again it's always nice to like set the scene a little bit so uh could you describe where what a series b company is uh and put it in the context of its whole like life cycle i guess yeah so i i think for me I, as we sort of said before i i've kind of landed on you know, Series B companies are kind of what interests me at the minute and I think are kind of interesting and kind of rewarding careers. Um, and and I think you've got to place that in the context of all the kind of classic funding rounds of a sort of venture-backed kind of business. So obviously, you know, you have the seed stroke kind of friends and family kind of round, um, which, you know, basically there you're kind of, you're backing an idea and, and a team. You're sort of saying, okay, 
you know, I'm not too sure what these guys are going to do, guys and girls are going to do. Um, but you know, we kind of, um, you know, we like the overall idea of it. We think they have the skills to kind of work it out. Let's sort of see what happens. And and, and that that kind of seed round, you know, it exists pretty much at the minute because you can get a lot of traction with not a lot of money because in, in a world nowadays where we have Amazon Web Services, so I don't have to have a massive infrastructure team who are, you know, kind of building servers for me and, you know, websites that are kind of, you know, no sort of no code websites so I can start to tech people's email addresses and, you know, engage with customers without that. You know, that's why it kind of seed exists because you can actually get a lot of traction, get a lot through a kind of um, an idea, um, you know, on, on a kind of bare bones budget. 15, 20 years ago in sort of funding, it was pretty much Series A because you needed that funding in order even just to build a website. Mm-hmm. Um, then Series A is, is to my mind, is where you're, you're trying to find true kind of product market fit. So you're trying to, you're trying to work out who are my customers, are they kind of, you know, working? And, and when I say Series A, like it could be that to get a Series A around, you need to at least demonstrate that's, that stuff. Or it could be that you've taken the Series A around and now you're, you know, that's, you're not going to raise any more money until you kind of work this stuff out. But you're really looking for that product market fit. You're really looking for that positive kind of response and, you know, working out this, yes, we're onto something here. It's something that people value and they're willing to kind of pay money for it um and so then in series b you kind of get into um you know kind of scaling um so you know we find the thing that works we kind of know that it's you know profitable at at what i would call a kind of gross profit level so you know we're not covering the cost of all the staff and our office rent and all our kind of servers and things that we're kind of paying for but we know fundamentally that each customer who kind of comes through the door makes us more money Mm -hmm. um and so at that level you are you're scaling okay you're you know how do i get into um uh you know doing more of this scaling the marketing budgets working out that okay i can spend ten thousand pounds a month on on facebook but what happens if i try to spend fifty thousand pounds is it still kind of going or am i starting to hit the sort of limit of of whether or not that spend is effective um and so there you're, you really are kind of, you know, building out the product, you're building out some more of the kind of processes and things like that, that sort of, you know, cement the, um, uh, the kind of success of the business. Um, series C, you're kind of, you know, normally doing one of two things. You're either kind of pushing for kind of profitability or you're, um, uh, you know, you're kind of building out the kind of product suite. So, you know, you're really sort of saying, right worked here we have an audience who love us for this stuff now we're going to go off and kind of do things so Moneybox, for example through its series c has you know gone from ices to cash accounts to lifetime ices to pensions to mortgages but they're kind of going look we have an audience for financial management they like what we're doing they like the product now now is the time they're going to go and sort of land grab a little bit uh and then you kind of get into series d which is tends to be a bit more optional and you know tends to be more around kind of like international expansion or you know we're going bigger in some other way um so that, that's kind of roughly the sort of you know the, the spread you, you get lots of variations on that and so that's a kind of very rough rule of thumb so for example what one startup i, I had a conversation with was uh, zoe who do this kind of microbiome kind of gut testing sort of where you get your kind of you know told what you should be eating and you know to improve your kind of gut health they are a very science kind of based company and they have a very, very well respected kind of, you know, lead scientist in Dr. Um, Tim Spector. And, you know, their series A was pretty much all spent on kind of really getting the science to work. You know what I mean? So they had a, they had a lot of funding, but they had enough, you know, kind of kudos to kind of go after that. And the series B then becomes the, oh, product market fit. Do people really value this and how much will they pay for it? And that kind of side of things bit of an exception because you know he was so well respected and all the rest and had a very 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 strong team behind that but that's an example of where it you know maybe doesn't quite follow the same path and then uh the link as well like so with growth manage management or being a growth manager uh so is so like series b perhaps is the most relevant uh stage 
Yeah. So what, what you kind of find at the Series B stage, so, so obviously you've done like marketing and things, you know, because Series A, if I don't have customers coming through the door, then, you know, I can't actually test if I've got kind of product market fit. So you're already kind of spending on marketing and things. But Series B is where you kind of go, I know these customers who are coming through are profitable. And I now have the budget in order to kind of go and spend on this marketing. And so I'm, you know, maybe I've started really basically and just have you know, Facebook kind of working. Well, now Series B, I'm trying other channels. I'm, you know, trying lots of different creative. I'm pushing it out there. I'm doing, you know, YouTube. I, I've maybe had the budget to produce more creative. So, you know, I can do, you know, YouTube videos and, and things like that, which there you are know, YouTube ads. So you just have more kind of budget to go and scale. So, um, yeah, and then that's kind of where growth kind of comes into its own. Now, obviously, you know, it doesn't mean that prior to that you weren't doing any marketing. It doesn't mean you weren't talking to your kind of customers, but it's when it tends to become a bit more structured and you get the kind of payoff of, you know, being a bit more kind of formal around your kind of approach to growth. You know, earlier we were talking about uh, what sort of drew you to uh the growth role uh quite generally is it sort of quite similar reasons uh that you also are attracted to because they they kind of go hand in hand maybe like yeah yeah i think you, so you're attracted so, to series b um, yeah like and, and i i've worked all kind of around different different i would say range span is probably series a kind of you know naked wines is probably series d really um kind of you know bet for amazon where corporate and where are past that kind of point you know they're kind of listed um and so you know what i've kind of found is that i, I quite like kind of you know th things that are kind of high growth because there's just lots of opportunity in there and, and like series b is the point at which kind of you know things really take off i also kind of like um you know to get in relatively early because i still think there's you know um, you know, there's a real kind of camaraderie that comes with kind of working in kind of startups and sort of building stuff together. And the earlier in, the kind of better. Uh, and the more kind of holistic sort of understanding you have of the kind of product. So, you know, the company tends to be a bit less siloed. You can know every single person at the company. You know, when, when companies are getting above sort of 120, 130 people, it's, it's hard to know everyone. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of one of the reasons I like kind of Series B. I think fast growing just means lots of opportunity. So there's lots of opportunity to kind of test stuff, you know, and try new things and launch new products and things like that. Um, and and more importantly, you have the budget. So, you know, Series B is normally the one really big kind of funding round where you go, yes, we have money to spend here. And, you know, we've got two years to kind of work through it. Um, and then I think I actually, you know, personally as well, from a conversation perspective, because they have those resources, you can generally earn a sort of near to kind of market rate kind of salary. and you know you're granted equity and that equity has a reasonable chance of being worth something you know the kind of you know if you look at the stats of you know series a series b series c how likely they are to you know eventually kind of you know make it and, and have some sort of value then that just improves as you kind of go along so it's about kind of yeah. finding that right balance yeah and that reminds me of um, a quote from i think peter Thiel, which is that people perhaps focus too much on trying to found things themselves rather than uh, getting involved with something that looks very promising uh, already. I, would you agree with uh, that statement? Uh, it massively depends on your mindset, I think. Um, yeah. I think some people are destined to be entrepreneurs and have the self-belief and the confidence and the, you know, ongoing positivity to kind of make it happen um you know I've, I've worked with a lot of them and um you know I, I do think very successful entrepreneurs are a kind of special kind of breed um kind of I guess for, for me like I, sometimes I think I'd like to do my own stuff and then sometimes I think I just don't quite have the right mindset to that and what's better for me is to kind of go well let's let's go and work in interesting stuff that is as close to that as you're comfortable being essentially yeah um so I think it, it really depends on your mindset. And I think, you know, look, starting your own business is very, very hard and a big risk. And so it's probably a risk that you either want to take when you're very young or when you're kind of very successful and kind of financially secure. And, you know, but maybe at that point it's too late. Don't know. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. So, and, and I think there's no right answer to it, but I don't, I don't think you should be like, 
I have failed in life if I've not been an entrepreneur or set up a startup or anything like that. I think it's, you've got to just know yourself and, and know what works for you. Yeah. And generally as well, uh, it'd be nice to know about sort of like um, what's especially difficult for companies in the Series B stage as well. Um, yeah. So, so I think there's a couple of kind of challenges there. So I think, um, Firstly, you know, hiring's normally normally a big okay. one. So, you know, normally you now have the budget to hire and you have to go and build out these teams to kind of get stuff to do, but you probably don't have the brand name to hire. So maybe within certain circles, people kind of know what you're doing, but it can be kind of harder. Um, it, it's much better if, if you're a consumer company and you're advertising to consumers because obviously one of the people you'll advertise to are people who might come, come and work for you. So it's good to have the name out there. Um, I think associated with that hiring is, is a bit of a kind of culture change, you know, so, you know, normally a very tight kind of group who've been there from the start are having lots of new people kind of come in. Um, and if you kind of get that wrong, they can be slightly different values or they can be slightly different, um, you know, sort of approaches and thoughts. But again, that's that's the case in any kind of company at any stage. Um, part of that kind of culture change, I think there's a, as companies go on there is an ever-changing kind of dynamic of like the kind of robustness of sort of process so early on it's just a case of whatever we have to do to survive doesn't matter if we cut corners we just got to get it done as you get into kind of series b and beyond it becomes a bit more no no we should be a bit more efficient about this and we you know can't kind of go on kind of burning staff and we should have a few more kind of policies but some of which grates against you know the way that we used to do things um those kind of like growing pains of kind of companies um and then i think the last one i would sort of highlight is just the sheer kind of range of opportunities so there's just so many once you have sort of money and a bit of breathing space there's just so many things that you could do and so it's normally at that point at which kind of roadmaps for companies really really kind of just explode of like oh, we could do absolutely everything you know kind of you know just like there's a whole bunch of back end stuff we could do there's a whole bunch of marketing tech stuff we could do there's new products there's new markets there's all these bugs that we never got around to fixing the first time around uh and so you need a kind of a really good kind of product discipline kind of process uh at that point you first you need a product vision i.e where are we taking this because that's got to guide the you know what we're actually kind of building and then you need the kind of discipline to actually kind of go through and sort of say just because you want it done doesn't mean it's going to actually be be done we've got to be very limited in this and uh, and so it's it's a series b that i see a lot of companies kind of go on wow there's just so much to get through how do we how do we get it all and can we do it all and the gen general answer is no you can't do it all so you just got to decide yeah so sort of prioritization and uh, exactly that yeah. i guess it's, it's a nice problem to have generally compared yeah, so yeah. And, and it comes comes from people sort of, you know, lots of people in different areas of the business, maybe slightly more specialized than, than they were before, sort of saying, this is what I need to get my job done. Therefore, please add it to the product roadmap.